This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and also holds the Certificate and Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Housing costs may be a big portion of your budget. Our financial advisor is going to give his opinion on ways to cut some of those expenses associated with how you live. And he's always ready to take personal finance questions. Contact us by email. The address, it's money at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Ryder. We always like to start off the show with financial news in the news. What do you have for us? Good morning, and uh, I hate to just be a repeat of last week, but we're going to talk about the stock market again. The stock market was down a lot yesterday. I think at one point we were down about 3% or so, a little bit more than that, and bounced back up to close the day. S&P 500 was basically flat for the day. So that was interesting, really high volume, and this is kind of wrapping up a pretty big descent from the beginning of the year. So that's been kind of frightening. Uh, we talked in the past about there's definitely going to be some volatility. There's definitely going to be some declines this year. I just did not expect them all to happen right off the bat in the first of the year. Uh, we are waiting on a few things. The Federal Reserve is meeting the uh, Open Markets Committee, the one that sets the sets the rate targets. They're meeting. I believe we're going to get the press release tomorrow. We're expecting a few rate hikes this year. That has not changed. Nobody's really expecting that to change because there's nothing besides the inflation numbers. There's there's no new information that's particularly concerning or anything, and 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 so speaking of that inflation, we talked a lot about how all of the pent up spending, all that pent up demand from. 2020 led to inflation in 2021. That will peter out at some point. Spending, uh, sorry, uh, personal savings rates are back down, so kind of a normal personal savings rate. So, but people still do have lots of cash on hand. There, they are still opportunities. There's, there still is demand out there. We just don't know how much longer that's going to last. And, and if the demand cools off, then the inflation will probably cool off as well. Just the supply is kind of ramping up to meet those needs. So that's that's interesting. And and one last thing, this has been both stocks and bonds down this year. And and normally you see. When money is being pulled out of one, when money is being pulled out of stocks, well, where is it going? It's going to bonds because money is being pulled out of stocks because people are afraid of of the volatility. People are afraid of what might happen in the stocks, so they're putting it in something safer. They're putting it in bonds. Well, that's not happening exactly because the bonds are decreasing as well, and that's because we, we we expect those rates to rise, so we expect the value of the bonds to decline a little bit this year. So if folks are just pulling money out of stocks and bonds and then leaving it in cash, that leaves a lot of investable cash on the sidelines as well. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes and how that affects the markets. Uh, so last night I started work on my tax return, um, went online to do that, and uh, was a little bit uh, off guard with one thing. You know, you when you do your taxes, you need your W-2 forms, you need any of your 1099 forms, and I had all that. But there's also uh, something that I think I got in the mail, but 
ignored, uh, and that is a letter from the IRS that uh, tells you what you got in terms of the stimulus money. And so um, I had I didn't remember what I had gotten, which doesn't say a whole lot for me, but uh, <laughs> there is a question on the return about whether you got the third stimulus payment, because if you didn't, it can then go uh, into as you figure out your taxes for this year. Um, and the IRS sends out a notice that uh, tells you what you received. And I think I vaguely remember getting something from the IRS and reading through it, and I, I, I didn't understand the importance of it, so I might have chucked it. But uh, fortunately, I do have um, an account with the IRS.gov and was able to go to my account and find out that I did, in fact, receive all three of the stimulus payments, uh, so I was able to make the adjustment um, on my tax return. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in that I got a free federal one, but they were going to charge me like $35 for the state return, and so I'm going to yep. hold off on that and see if I can't find a cheaper alternative, uh, because you can do one without the other, and I, I think I'll go ahead and, and do the free file, but then uh, figure out to, uh, to do the um, the state return in, in a different way. At least another program might have it a little bit uh, cheaper than that. Yes, and that's a couple of good points. One, Kevin, if you get a letter from the IRS, just don't ever throw it away. I mean, I mean, just keep that forever. I, I don't. I, that's important <laughs> communication. The IRS is the one. You know, keep in mind, they're the one who can reach into your paycheck and bank account if they want. So, I would, even if they said, "Hey, hey, bud, everything's good to go," I would keep that. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a bold move, tossing that one away. And um. And then that's a good point. The IRS does have the IRS free file available for, again, I have not, do not have the, the income limits right in front of me, but for those under a certain income limit, I want to say around $70,000, you can file your taxes for free using, uh, using software to help you out. Of course, you can file your taxes for free just by printing up the forms, fill them out by hand, and mailing them in. Just calls it a stamp there. But, but the, the electronic filing is so much so much more helpful for a lot of folks, and, and especially for those who may be relying on getting uh, a, a refund check. Again, the IRS says don't, don't depend on this, don't rely on this, because the timing could be crazy. But that electronic filing is super useful for a lot of folks. But they can charge you for state filings. $35 sounds very reasonable to me, especially when your information is already in there and they're pretty much done, but, but there may absolutely be lower cost ways. And it may be the situation where they will actually give you all the information you need just to fill out the form and mail it in yourself. I, I was mailing in state forms until recently just because they didn't have a good electronic filing system. And a little bit in my defense, I'm not sure I got the letter. I thought I did. And, it, and the uh, the thing I was reading said that the letter would be sent out um, in late January. But like I said, I just thought I remembered seeing something from the IRS and sort of reading through it. And I was like, well, I'm not sure I know what this is. Uh, but the other thing was, it, it's $1,400, the, the third one was, at least in my case. And I got very nervous because I'm, I'm always nervous when I do my taxes if I'm doing something wrong, because obviously I don't want the IRS to come after me. Uh, so, But like I said, fortunately, I did have that um, account with the IRS at irs.gov, and I was able to to find the correct uh, answers. And um, I'm well on my way to going ahead and, and e-filing, so I can get my uh, return back quickly. <clears throat> 
There you go. So uh, a recent article on the website moneycrashers.com has a list of ways to save money on housing costs. The suggestions range from easy to drastic. So we're going to see what Ryder thinks about some of these methods. Uh, we'll start off, Ryder, an easy way to save money is to reduce, reduce water and electricity usage. Uh, any thoughts on that? What are some ways uh, that you might think about doing that in your house? Yes, I, th I think that's a great place always to start is it's the first R, reduce. Just, just use, use less of whatever this precious resource is. If your water bill is high, if your electricity bill is high, if your gas bill is high, reduce. And I think one of the easiest ways to think about this, I think about this all the time, and I know this is we're talking about, we're talking about home, uh, home expenses here, but most of our listeners will drive. Some of our listeners are driving right now. And reducing the amount you spend on gasoline, again, we just we talked about gas going up by 40 or 50 cents a couple weeks ago. Reducing that expense can be fairly fairly easy and powerful for a lot of people, even if it's just, you know, 50 cents here and there. An example, the other day, I came home from work, and then I realized I had to run to the hardware store to go pick something up. And so I hopped in my car, drove to the hardware store. It was a little bit of traffic, so I probably spent a little bit of time <laughs> idling my car and spent a little more on gas than if I had just been a little more thoughtful about my day and gone to the hardware store on my way home from work. It would have been less out of the way. I would have been able to knock those errands out a little more efficiently. Combining trips, combining trips, combining errands, and just a little bit of planning ahead really goes a long way towards reducing that amount you drive, especially someplace like Mississippi. We're, we're very rural. We're very spread. Even even our cities are very, very spread out, so you do have to drive quite a bit anytime you want to hop in the car. It's not, it's not like everything is just two minutes away, and, and it's, it's not a big deal to pop into the pop out to go do that. So I think reducing is, is really powerful, and that's, and that's a great, great example to start with. Yeah, there's a, some things to do around the home in, in terms of uh, reducing water and electricity. Uh, the one that caught my eye on the list uh, our producer, Liz Gill, gave us on our script is the, the low-flow shower heads. If you're a fan of Seinfeld, uh, you will know what those are all about. Uh, but that's a good idea. Water-efficient toilets. Um, I know some friends of mine live out in uh, the desert in Palm Springs in California, and they have a smart watering system. Uh, and so there are things that, um, you know, things that you do regularly, but having um, something to control them to make sure that you're not wasting uh, either water or electricity. Absolutely. And one of the things that I really love that is, is things like, yes, you can have a more efficient lawn watering system, or you can think a little further and have a lawn that doesn't require as much water in the first place. Like you said, your friends in the desert, they probably don't have a lush green lawn that they have to go water every day. They probably have maybe it's rocks or native plants or an interesting landscape that just does not require as much water. Native plants are a great way to do this. I believe one term is xeriscaping, and that is the use of, of different techniques of landscaping to have a waterless lawn or to go towards a waterless lawn. And back to the household appliances you mentioned, the water-efficient toilets, even faucet aerators, things that things that reduce the amount of water you need because it's not just, oh, I saved two cents on water because I 
put a faucet aerator, but heating that water in a in a sink or in a shower, you are using that's heating water is a huge expense on your electric or your gas bill. And one great thing that's available to a lot of people check with your if you have if you have gas and electricity check with your gas company check with your electricity company see if they will do energy audits for you uh, I was just looking today energy a major electric company here in Mississippi they will offer a lot of services in this area they will come and do a free energy audit for your home I mean they have contractors do it they'll look at installation levels they'll look for air leaks though they'll, they'll look at your appliances to kind of give you some advice there and they will even replace light bulbs for you with energy efficient light bulbs they will offer a tune-up on your air conditioning heating and air conditioning and they will clean your refrigerator coils all sorts of things to make your house a little bit more efficient they also offer lots of rebates particularly on central air conditioning and central air conditioning and heating units those are where the biggest ones are because it's in their best interest they don't want to have to upgrade their grid so much because people are using more electricity. Yes, they want people to use more electricity because they're in the business of selling electricity, but they also don't want to overload their grid because overloading their grid is way more expensive than, oh, somebody saved because they they use more efficient, more efficient appliances. So that's something to look at, especially with those major appliances and especially if especially if they're getting towards the end of their life anyway, it might be a good opportunity instead of just going for the most basic upgrade you can. Look and see if there's an upgrade which you can get a little assistance with and really create savings over the long term. A couple others that stood out uh, from the electric usage side for me was the uh, programmable thermostat and then uh, looking for Energy Star certified products. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, reducing heating and cooling costs by making sure your home is insulated and well-maintained. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about ways to save on your housing costs today. Are you interested in other ways to save on your utility bills? We'll have some information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, this is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. Don't forget that you can also download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone and listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Money Talks devoted an entire show to utility bill savings. It was way back July 27th of 2017, but it's still available as a podcast. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, you'll get some tips on how to save on your utility bills. Ryder, our next suggestion for cutting costs associating with housing will take more effort, such as learning how to do your own maintenance and repairs. Uh, what's your take on that money-saving suggestion? So sometimes doing your own repairs, it's, it's totally doable. There are absolutely things you can do. And, and in fact, I believe our, our local MPB has a show on, is it Wednesday? Indeed it is. To, mm-hmm. Dedicated to the DIY, the repairs you can do. And some of those can be great efficiency things. If you, you can put some more insulation in your attic, or especially if you go in your attic and you find there's just no insulation at all. You, you can put that in. It, it's not that difficult, and it's not that difficult to learn how to install that. You can put weather stripping or replace weather stripping that's been worn out around your doors and windows. That is not that difficult. That's You can do that. Some of what you need is is the professional guidance about what your home actually needs, though. Because if if weather stripping and insulation is the only thing you can think of, then you might be missing something else. And as you can see, that's the only thing I'm thinking of at the right moment. So I would think I was done with my house. There's a lot of things that general maintenance that you can do as well. Again, back to thinking about major appliances, keeping your refrigerator coils clean, making sure that you're AC has a tune-up every year. There are things that you can do, and I'll say most of the time, they're just outlined in your owner's manual. I'm willing to bet that 90% of folks do not do, and I'm including this 90% of folks, so you're in good company or bad company, however you want to look at it. Most folks are not going through their owner's manual every year and doing the six-month maintenance, doing the annual maintenance that their appliances suggest. Uh, another one that uh, I hope people are doing is, is replacing air filters for air conditioners and if you have water filters in your house, water filters. So again, keeping things clean is, is a fairly straightforward thing to do and, and can be pretty powerful as well, especially if you haven't done that in a while. Uh, Fix It 101 is the home improvement show on MPB Think Radio. airs Wednesday mornings at 9. And one of the things I like about that is they will tell people who call in whether they think that it is something that, uh, that the homeowner can do or whether they would recommend getting, uh, you know, professional help. And that's the thing that you, when you talk about doing things on your own, that you've got to be realistic with yourself and say, you know, what is it that I can do? Because if you kind of take on a project that's a little bit above your pay grade, as it were, uh, you probably will end up spending more money if you if you do something uh, 
uh, wrong. Um, also, I like your suggestion about filters, the AC filter especially, because, you know, they're, they're not that expensive. They help your AC run more efficiently, so you'll save money. But also, in the long run, you're not making your air conditioner work as hard. So if it runs efficiently, efficiently uh, we would hope that the, the life of it will be extended and you won't have to replace that as soon as if uh, you're maybe uh, taxing it. So, Ryder and Kevin, this is producer Liz. I was uh, interested to learn this tip from my brother. I'm not one for ordering a lot of things over the Internet. I'm, I'm not uh, she who will not be named who isn't here today. But one of the things my brother does is he does order the replacement filters for his uh, air conditioning heater and he has them come every three months, which is when it's recommended to replace them so that he knows when they come in the mail, then it's time to go and replace them. And that, that kind of takes the guesswork. Is it time? Did I replace them already? As long as the, the mail goes through, he knows when it's time to replace his filters. You know, Liz, I do something similar. That's a great tip, by the way, to have that automatically delivered to you when you need a new one. Uh, my brain has uh, gotten such mush that I uh, have a little whiteboard on my refrigerator, and I usually will keep track of, you know, when I do something, um, you know, visits to the vet for my cat, that sort of thing, and then I'll say, you know, replace AC filter on June 3rd, whatever it is. So uh, any kind of tricks that you can do to make sure that you keep those routine maintenance things in mind, I think, again, will uh, in the long term, uh, will certainly benefit you as well. Well... So if you're thinking about lowering your housing costs in the future, a suggestion is to improve credit before buying. Uh, Ryder, how much of a difference can this make for, some, for a potential homeowner? So it's really important to an extent. And I'm remembering from our past episodes with mortgage experts, mortgage brokers, the big kind of bright dividing line is, I believe they've said around the 720 credit score. Basically, once you're over the 720 credit score, you're going to get the best interest offers. You're going to get the best payment offers. That's kind of where it all falls into place. And maybe not a huge difference on interest from there on out. One way it might affect it a little more, particularly if you are lower than 720, is how it affects private mortgage insurance, or PMI. And that's an additional cost on top of the interest rate that you pay for usually a pretty defined amount of time, usually until you get to a certain loan-to-value ratio. We can talk about that a little more in a minute, but, but that's basically a little extra on top of the interest rate that you might have to pay if, if you are, uh, have a lower credit score. You know, also on this one, too, again, is, you know, you pay for your house over a number of years, 30 years, 15 years, that sort of thing. And so, again, if you're able to get uh, some savings on the front end, that continues to uh, give you lower expenses uh, throughout the life of that whole mortgage. Oh, you're absolutely right. And speaking of the life of the mortgage, so looking at roughly right now a 3% 30-year mortgage, and, and um, full disclosure, that is, that is a little low. Mortgage rates have bumped up a, a bit. But just for purposes of this illustration, a 3% mortgage on a $100,000 house, that's $3,000 in your first year that you would be paying in interest or you would be paying a total of about 52000 over the life of the mortgage. If your mortgage was, say, 
which you would expect to see if you were a much lower credit score, if you were getting some other type of mortgage from somebody who was working specifically with you. This used to be kind of the subprime area, and I know 6% is very low for subprime. It's affordable for subprime, but imagine it was much higher. Imagine it was 3% higher. That's an additional 3000 a year. Okay, you've doubled that cost, and it's more than twice as much over the life of the loan. It's going to be 115000 over the life of the loan. You're paying an extra 63000 over the life of the loan for that that 6% mortgage. So something that makes sense for a lot of folks is refinancing at some point when they can get a lower interest rate, uh, refinancing when they can get out of that private mortgage insurance. And also, also one of my favorite tricks uh, for folks who are just dead set against paying interest is you can refinance into a shorter term loan. So they go from a 15-year to a 30-year. One, you often get a lower interest rate on the 15-year, and two, you pay it off quicker, obviously, twice as fast, with less overall interest. Your, your monthly payment will be higher. So to illustrate a 30-year at 3%, $100,000 loan, that's about $420 a month, and you're going to pay over the life of the loan about 52000 in interest. With a 15-year mortgage at 3%, $100,000 loan, you pay about six ninety a month, so you pay a good bit more, about a little over 50% more, and but you're only paying 24000 in interest. So you're paying less than half the interest, you get it paid a lot faster, and again, you will likely have that private mortgage insurance will roll off faster. So if your budget, it, it, it depends, your, if your budget can afford that higher payment, you might end up, for the long run, in a much different financial situation. You know, I think something like that, it's maybe a little bit harder to grasp because it's over such a long period of time. But if you kind of discipline it and, and go that route, I think when when it uh, come, time, comes time to, uh, you know, the, at the end of something, you'll you'll be glad that you had the foresight to, to uh, make that uh, commitment early on and save yourself some money. We're discussing saving money on housing expenses. What's a benefit to listening to Money Talks live? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thanks. 
Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. He's a chartered financial analyst and holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We frequently mention that Money Talks is available as a podcast, but if you listen live, you have the ability to call in and talk with a financial expert and get their suggestions about your particular situation. In fact, we've got a caller on the line. So let's say good morning to Janice, who's called in from Madison. Thanks for calling, Janice. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, uh, I have a question. We're thinking about buying a house, and uh, we want to get a 15-year mortgage. And probably within six months of buying the house, we'll have the money to pay off most of the loan. Is there a, a penalty for doing that, or would we save any money doing that, or should we just pay off this in over 15 years? Uh, so that's a great question. And no, generally speaking, in the U.S., there are no longer any penalties for prepayment on a mortgage. You are welcome to pay as much or as fast as you can. My question would be, though, what does paying it off do for you? you know, why, why is that the option to pursue? Well, we're old. <laughs> We're 70, and we just don't want to, uh, you know, at, at, if we pay it off in 15 years, we'll be 85, and we, we just don't know if we should, uh, I don't know, put that money that we'll get in a place and save that money, because it's not going to be making much interest in a, you know, if we get that money, once we get that money, uh, that could pay off most of the loan. Um, so, I don't know. You know, what would be a better yeah. thing for us to do? Pay off the loan or save the money and just pay off the loan in over 15 years? Yeah, so, and, there, and there's a few things. And, and you're, you're not alone in, in, in wanting to pay, pay off your mortgage. And for someone of your age, it often does make a little more sense. But for most folks... We'll say, we'll say about a lot of bits of financial advice, it does depend on your whole financial situation. So there are two things I want to talk about right now. One is that having a mortgage, buying a home, having a mortgage on it, it is one of the incredible things that you're doing is you are locking in that housing cost, that baseline housing cost forever until you move again. And and so your mortgage payment is not ever going to go up, but you are 70 years old. You, I'm imagining, collecting some Social Security. That Social Security income is inflation adjusted every year. You may have, you may have a pension. You may have other money that you rely on. Yeah, so even though your income is fixed or maybe you know, have a slight increase, you have an inflation adjustment, if, if that mortgage payment is affordable, it's going to stay the same for the next 15 years while your Social Security increases a little bit every year. So it's never going to become more burdensome, and in all likelihood, it's going to become way less burdensome. And then the other thing is the important thing about a mortgage, and, and this is maybe more important for, for, for younger folks, but the important thing about having a mortgage, about using using debt as a tool in your financial plan, is the flexibility that it gives you. So I always give the example, say you have $100,000 in mortgage debt and you have $100,000 in cash. 
your net worth is zero because you have $100,000 in cash minus that $100,000 in debt. That's zero. You, you're on you, paper, you're worthless. But, <laughs> but in our hearts, you're not. Um, but if you take that $100,000 in cash and just pay off the mortgage, well, fantastic. You have no mortgage. I bet that feels nice and freeing. But you also have no money. You don't you're going you're going to need money in the future i i guarantee it that you're going to need money in the future and 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 having having a substantial amount of money it's not just the old oh well you can put the money in the stock market and it will grow more and and yes while i do believe that is true especially when you're looking at long-term things we we are just talking about the stock market being down almost so far this year the opposite can happen in the short term but you would expect that money to grow much much more over the long term, but more importantly, you would retain the flexibility of having that money. You would be able to make a large expense. You would be able to, the next day, if a tree fell on your house, pay to have that tree removed. Whereas if you didn't have a mortgage and you didn't have the cash, it might be more difficult to find money available for that. Also, mortgage rates are they're, they're, even though they've risen a decent bit in the last uh, couple months, a uh, couple weeks, they're still at incredible historic lows. It's just going to be really hard to ever find money this cheap again. And so, I would just caution people before squandering that opportunity. Okay, thank you. Great advice. Thanks, Ryder. Absolutely. Thanks, Janice. We appreciate your call. We're focused on finding options to save money on housing costs. The website moneycrashers.com is our starting point for our discussion. We've commented on some of the easy methods. Uh, We're coming to some more drastic ways to cut costs. The next one is to brainstorm ways to house hack. House hacking involves finding ways for someone else to cover your housing expenses. Ryder, can you think of any examples? <laughs> yes. So the big way is is having a roommate or having an Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb is very popular. Some people are comfortable renting out a room for short amounts of time, and as long as you're willing to deal with somebody else being in your house uh, and all of the cleaning and possibly some socializing that goes along with that, then that might be a very interesting way to get a little extra money. The biggest value in your house is, of course, as a house. So the biggest money you're going to be able to make off your house is using it as a house for someone who's going to give you some money. A little more kind of steady income, I suppose, would be if you have a roommate or someone who can pay rent consistently. But the either of those options is very helpful if you have if your house is designed in such a way that maybe there's a separate entrance for guests. Maybe there is a separate entrance or kind of a, a separate living space for a longer term roommate. So you can make that work a little bit easier without having to intermingle your lives too much if, if that's if that's how you want it and keep in mind if you're airbnb out your your house particularly your whole house maybe you live in an apartment and you want to airbnb out the whole apartment is you're going to need to make sure you have a place to stay when you airbnb it out um so you're not uh sleeping under the bed and trying to trying to hide from your new guest 
Uh, and I would say that, uh, you know, my brother uh, owns a condo down in Pensacola Beach. I might have referenced that a time or two on the show. But uh, uh, when they first bought it, he and his wife w went the way of, of, you know, renting it out occasionally while they used it as well, because at that time they uh, were not living in Florida. But anyway, um, I know my sister-in-law got very frustrated because every time they'd go to spend a relaxing weekend on the beach, she found herself cleaning up and you know the the couch has been moved over here i remember one time uh, one of the renters spilled something on the carpet and instead of reporting it to the the third party that was the you know the rental uh, agency uh, they just drug a table over the spot in the middle of the rug so there are a lot of frustrations that might go on and you know in in that case the the money was good and helped them with the the payments the mortgage payments on the condo itself uh, but eventually it became too much of a burden and they decided that they didn't want to do it that way so there's some things to think about, although that is a good way to uh, have someone else cover uh, your housing costs. We've got some calls on the line. We'll start again. Uh, Jackson, uh, Megan is calling in today. Good morning, Megan. Go ahead. It show um, two things. So uh, back to the PMI, um, I think uh, <laughs> for clarification, I've always heard that uh, if you get your loan down to 80% of the appraised value, not of the original loan value, then you can drop the PMI. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so with the property values going up recently, there should be a lot of people that could drop the PMI, seems like. And second, it's of the appraised value, not the uh, original loan value. So, and another thing is that, have you ever heard of alternate dwelling units? Yes, or additional dwelling units, maybe. Yes, right. ADUs. Uh, alternate dwelling units. So, so with the real estate market being as tight as it is, um, the to me, it just makes. I'm just a woman of common sense, I guess, or you know, small thinking. I love it. But the, it seems like people, you know, that have excess area with their residents, seems like they could. Um, I guess it'd be like a kind of like a mother-in-law thing, but the person that owns the alternate dwelling unit w would be the owner of it. They would just pay rent for it to sit on someone's property. So that seems like that would be a, a way of additional income for the homeowner and get somebody into a house. Oh, yes. So are you picturing more like someone having a like parking a camper or something on right, your, on your property? Is that what you're house. thinking? It would be an appreciating thing, not a depreciating. Uh, trailers and RVs, and that you know, they depreciate, but small houses hold their value. And uh, you know, it's not. It would be like instead of throwing their money away on rent, it seems like it would be, uh, you know, their own little home, <laughs> sort of. Yes, and ADUs, those are becoming more popular in in a, in a lot of places, and part of that is that people. You know, say you live in a desirable neighborhood that's close to all of the, the amenities. Maybe it's a little older neighborhood. Well, it's probably a lot harder to find a new home in that neighborhood as well. So people building ADUs are allowing more people to come and enjoy those same amenities. While, like you said, they're not so much throwing money away on rent. And the owner of the property does get something out of it as well. And so it's, it's kind of a win-win in a lot of situations. Does. 
Uh, I will say a lot of that as well is going to depend on what the zoning rules are. And, you know, so if you have permission, of course, planning permission, et cetera, a lot of the issues around ADUs are more uh, along those lines. But I think that's a great idea as well. Instead of just saying, oh, well, someone else used my front door and has full access to my house, being able to keep something separate like we talked about before is, is a really that's – a, that's a great idea. All right, Megan, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Alan's on the line from Raymond. We'll get to his call in just a moment. We're talking about ways to save money at your home. How much do renters spend on rent? We'll have one statistic for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. healthy and fit you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active i'm dr josie bidwell host of southern remedy healthy and fit and associate professor of preventive medicine at the university of mississippi medical center listen to the show every monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for southern remedy with your preferred podcasting app Hanging on to a vehicle you can't drive feels like a dream where you try to run but can't. Rather than hit the snooze for another year, why not donate your car, truck, or other vehicle to MPB and wake up to great television and radio? Call 877-MPB-4-CAR or go to mpbonline.org support and click on Donate a Vehicle to support the programs you count on morning and evening. Now that's a good dream. We're pleased you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Here's a program reminder. Every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I want to talk a little bit about renting uh, and rental costs, but first we have a caller on the line, and it is Alan from Raymond. Good morning, Alan. You're on the air, so go ahead. Oh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I love these shows. Thank you. Oh, um. My sister, uh, I can't move down there, and uh, she's looking to fix their house and to sell it. Maybe if she was going to shoot your move, is there a rule of thumb how much money you should put into a, your house, home, to sell, and get and get get your money back? Ah, got you. Uh, no, I, I do not have a rule of thumb there. I, I will say it depends. The the number one thing they say, or the top three things they say about real estate is location, location, location. <laughs> and also with the market right now, this market is a lot different uh, than it has been in the past. Demand for housing is just so high. We have seen 
folks more willing to buy something that needed a lot of work. And one thing I always caution people about is making changes that are maybe more of a stylistic choice than a fundamental structural choice. For instance, maybe you have a dated kitchen, but do it. that's not necessarily going to be the the thing everything hinges on, especially in a market like this, because someone is going to come in with a different idea of what they want the kitchen to look like. So you may do a wonderful remodel, but the person is like, oh, now this kitchen turns me off and I have to redo it, and it's a new kitchen. They might not be so, so hot on that. But say there is an issue with your roof or an issue with your plumbing that needs to be fixed, that's something that is going to need to get done regardless and go ahead and do that. So fixing the more structural issues is going to be a lot more important in getting a house sold, especially in this market, than the cosmetic things. People will always have opinions about the cosmetic things. If you go on Zillow right now, you will be able to find houses that you think are disastrous and that other people love. You're that's not you're not going to get over that. So so maybe don't do the cosmetic things that are just not as necessary. That's that's just my general thoughts on that. I do not have a rule of thumb on that though. All right, Alan. Uh, go ahead. I just um you mentioned something about stocks. Uh, I was just wondering with the you know fossil fuels are being fought and try to get moved out. If that's in your 401k, is that wise to change? So, are you saying? No, I'm just wondering. Investing in for, <laughs> I'm not good at stuff. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if the, if fossil fuel. Well, I'm not going to live that long. Maybe. <laughs> So there's a couple of things here. Uh, Some 401ks do offer some options which may avoid fossil fuels or may focus on newer technologies. And you can often identify these funds. They may uh, bill themselves as ESGs, so environmental, social, and governance factors going into the selection of stocks. You may find funds which focus on maybe technology stocks. A lot of technology stocks are focused on ways to move us into new modes of transportation, new ways of consuming energy, etc. So those are ways maybe to look towards investing in the new technologies and the things that are changing, and also the things that are maybe being a little bit smarter, more efficient with their fossil fuel usage. As far as do you invest in them or not at all, certainly over the past past decade or so, we've seen things like especially coal companies just ended up doing terribly. Uh, Natural gas became super cheap in in the U.S., and so companies that were making a lot of money out of natural gas, uh, the the marketplace has changed. There are plenty of companies making plenty of money with that, but um, there's just a a lot of ways it's changed, and it's not always been companies going out of business. A lot of there will be winners in the fossil fuel area, and there will be companies that just just go out of business. You're absolutely right. 
All right, Alan, thanks for your call. Ryder got a couple of minutes left. Um, we talked a little bit about rental uh, costs, and according to ipropertymanagement.com, 41% of renters spend more than 35% of their income on rent. Um, what about that? Does that seem about right? Is that a lot to you, or what are your thoughts on that st- statistic? Well, I think it's a lot as a housing cost overall, but when you look at the market, and it's very unfortunate that people spend so much of their income on rent, but when you when you look at it by income level, I believe what you often find is people, lower income folks are spending a higher proportion of their income on rent, because at some point there's... It, housing costs just just don't decrease as much so so if you have a lower income you do end up spending that higher proportional rent i think that's i think it's you know we're talking more about a housing policy sort of discussion at that point with this opinion i don't know if that's what you meant to provoke but (laughs) but that that would be very high with a lot of i mean that's slightly higher than kind of the absolute maximum on having uh, on mortgage approval for instance and so most people who have a mortgage are spending a much much lower portion of their income on housing part of that is just because they're higher income but part of that is because they locked in that housing price 5 10 20 years ago whereas with a rental you are your housing price increases with inflation it is a part of inflation in fact and you know final word i guess if if you're renting and, and you're spending more percentage of your income than you want i guess the, the first alternative is maybe try to find another place to live yes finding a different place to live if you're in an area where you know you'll be a long time and you can find a, a house to buy, a place where you can lock in that rent for a long time. And, of course, there are plenty of places that, that offer some way to lock in your rent prices or, or prevent those increases from being too steep. So there are other solutions out there, and it's not just that your rent is going to double. I'm not saying your rent is going to double every year, but housing is a huge part of anyone's budget, so it is absolutely worth looking at in depth because you're always going to have to have a house. All right, that will wrap us up today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Ryder Taft, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.